Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 133.5. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami, board-certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. I passionately believe in the power of diet, habits, and mindset in sparking and sustaining well-being and joy in our lives. This podcast combines expert interviews and thoughtful monologues to explore plant-based nutrition, lifestyle medicine, parenting, mindset, and other exciting and fun topics. I hope that these episodes inspire you, uplift you, and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Raising vegan kids is not just doable, but it's actually a gift. Veggie lovers, I have a jewel of an episode for you. And I just could not wait to release it for a couple of reasons. One, it's incredible. And Marisa and I, we just have a really candid conversation about all the things. I think you're going to enjoy listening to us talk about all of these different topics. But number two, if you haven't already heard about this book, The Vegucated Family Table, Irresistible Vegan Recipes and Proven Tips for Feeding Plant-Powered Babies, Toddlers, and Kids, you must get your hands on this book. And I wanted to tell you about it so that you have time to buy a copy for all your besties and your family and your friends even if they're not vegan, because these recipes are amazing and delicious. The pictures are beautiful and it just talks about feeding kids and even has baby food recipes and so much good stuff. There's not another book like this out on the market, especially for vegan and plant-based families. So it's called The Vegucated Family Table by Marisa Miller-Wolfson and Laura Delhauer. Get your hands on this book. So in this episode, we're going to talk more about the book, but we're going to talk about Marisa's vegan journey, how she even became vegan, why and how she made Vegucated, the documentary that came out in 2011, what it's like being a vegan activist, a working mother, trying to balance that with raising kids during a pandemic. We talk about rescued goldfish and my latest hobby, and we talk about the book, her favorite recipes. We talk about raising vegan kids and what her opinion is about that um, and what she would do if she had a magic wand. This was not what I expected her to say. Definitely some really intense topics, some really heavy topics, but also some laughter and some fun in this episode. Before I tell you a little bit more about Marisa, I want to read a five-star review from Apple Podcasts by Ashley B. Mama of Two, entitled Love Veggie Doctor. I started listening to this show a couple of years ago and recently read her book, A Parent's Guide to Intuitive Eating, and love it. I read it in two days. Easy and informative read. I love the fast array of interviews. It keeps me staying positive and gives me a new tidbit every episode. I also love all the references I get from it. For example, I love the cookbook I bought after listening to one of her episodes, Peanut Butter Jelly Banana Bread. I admit I thought it was gross. Then I bought the book, tried several recipes and thought, okay, it is the author's favorite recipe. Be brave. Try new things. OMG. It is our favorite in our house right now. Thank you so much, Ashley B. Mama of two. I feel like 
we could be friends. I just love that review. You are so adorable. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast and for being brave and trying new things, going outside of your comfort zone, which is something we are going to be talking on the episode today. Really quick, if you don't already know, I have a ton of free resources on my website. Just go to dryami.com forward slash free. That's spelled out D-O-C-T-O-R-Y-A-M-I.com forward slash free. So you can download lots of PDFs on how to replace meat, how to replace dairy, breakfast, lunch, dinner ideas, a shopping guide, eating out, all kinds of things, especially if you're at the beginning of the journey or you feel like you're stuck in a rut, you need new ideas, please just check it out, dryami.com forward slash free. Okay, so Marisa Miller-Wolfson is the creator of the award-winning documentary, Vegucated, and co-author of The Vegucated Family Table, Irresistible Vegan Recipes and Proven Tips for Feeding Plant-Powered Babies, Toddlers, and Kids. She lives in New York City with her husband, two kids, and two rescued goldfish. All right, veggie lovers, I am going to let you listen to this fantastic episode, but promise me you're going to get a copy of this book for you, for your friends, for everybody that you love, The Vegucated Family Table. Enjoy this episode. I hope that it inspires you, brings you so much peace and love in your heart. I love you. Happy holiday season and enjoy the episode. Marisa Miller Wolfson, we've already had an entire conversation before I hit this record button. <laughs> so I know that we're going to have a fantastic time during this conversation. Thank you so much for joining me on Veggie Doctor Radio. And thank you so much for all the work that you've done. Oh, thank 10 you. years ago, you released your documentary, Vegucated, which a lot of people have seen, award-winning documentary. But let's take a step back and tell me about your vegan journey. Sure. So I grew up in the Midwest um, from, you know, German and pioneer stock, very meat and potatoes. Uh, my mother's from Germany. So, I mean, like literally like veal schnitzel and sausages. So and all that cool. Stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I encountered vegetarians, vegans throughout my life. And I was like, well, that's good for them, but that's not really right for me because that's not yeah. my culture. Right? right. I know, you know about that. And, um, but then I, uh, but I always loved animals and I cared about the planet. And then I was at my Unitarian church one day and there was an, like this little English lady and she would always want people to come and care about her animal rights stuff. And I thought, you know, <laughs> she was a little bit kooky. Love it, kooky uh, and sweet, you know. And she would invite me to the all these screens of films of horrible sounding names, like a cow at my table and things like that. I was like, I don't want to <laughs> see a cow at my table. I don't, I don't want to do that. Um, but then she invited me to one called We Are All Noah, and it was it sounded harmless, but it was not. It was, um, it, you know, exposed how animals lived on factory farms, mm-hmm. and that kind of blew my mind. And I walked away as a vegetarian. I was like, oh, wow. Okay. That that can happen, but not because of me. And how old were you then? 25, 25 when I turned vegetarian. Yes. And there at that screening, I picked up some literature, um, some vegan literature. And I met this, some neat ladies who are really into this stuff. And then I was flying home for my 26th birthday. That's right. Like three months later. And I was like trying to look for a magazine. Like, oh, what am I going to bring to read? And I just grabbed this like vegan stuff that I had at the screening. And I was like, oh, let me read through this. And one is called 101 Reasons Why I'm a Vegetarian. I was like, whatever. So I read it. But it wasn't just vegetarian. It was vegan. You know, it was like, you know, I had no idea about the egg industry and how horrible that is to the hens and, you know, how the little baby male chicks are like crushed up and stuff like that. And, or the dairy industry, how they separate the babies and, and how, um, you know, the dairy cows end up being, you know, hamburger helper or whatever anyway. So, so then I was like, okay, so vegetarian is not the whole gig. 
vegan is is kind of the same thing. It's just an extension of that. And then obviously caring about um, the environment. I read about all those reasons. And, and then I, you know, I was 26 and I never had health problems. So I wasn't particularly motivated by the health message, but I was reassured by it. You know, mm-hmm. um, I was like, oh, well, this is not only is it safe, but it's actually better for me. Um, so I went vegan and, you know, I'd say the first few months were a little, you know, rocky. My learning curve was steep, but I was committed. And, um, and then I, after that, I really found my community. Like one of the ladies who was at the screening, um, of that documentary that inspired me to go vegetarian, she ended up being my mentor and we started a nonprofit together and we made the documentary together. We ended up, I ended up first volunteering with her for vegetarian we would hold screenings of other people's documentaries around town with a veg message they were like well why don't we do this like why don't we make this like what we do so we started this nonprofit, and then um yeah we made the film together and uh and it's yeah it got out there i mean i made it on no budget with no film experience at all but it was just a message uh, that was you know ready for the world the world was ready for this for a film like this and so, you know, got Netflix and stuff and, um, and it found its audience that way. Wow. That's so cool. And it's been almost 10 years now. Yeah. And, you know, before I hit the record button, you mentioned that you felt like you did make a lot of mistakes when you made that film, but what, what are some things, what are some really great things that have happened because of the film? Um, but what have you learned as well? So I learned that film producing is just basically glorified problem solving. <laughs> it was just like, oh, this happened. Okay, now what do we do? Okay, this happened. Now, now what do we do? I also learned that I should probably delegate more and not try to like do everything myself. Um, what else have I learned? I've learned that people receive the film very differently. One thing I think that... Um, made the film work ultimately was at the end the three film subjects who you know we had go vegan for six weeks they landed in slightly different places at the end mm-hmm. and I feel like that reflects reality yeah. um, and so the message you know people are you can say the same message but people are going to receive it differently and they're also going to have you know their own stuff going on in their lives so you know what may be the answer for you may not be the answer for them so just having more compassion for where people are you know um, and the challenges that they have was yeah, something that I got out of it. Yeah. yeah. And I've learned that from coaching too, is that I think as a physician, we have a different model that we just have the answer and then you just do it. Right. <laughs> that right, doesn't work right, right, <laughs> but right. as a coach. I've learned that it's really important to understand not only where people are, but what is it that they desire? Because we don't all have the same desires. So I think that's a really great lesson to learn. That's so cool. I mean, it's so cool that you just did that. I had no clue that you just did that with no experience. And you're just like, okay, we're going to make this film. I mean, did it just like come to you? Or how how did you even think yeah. about doing a documentary? So, so I was sitting in Supersizing. This was the summer of 2004, gosh, and the film didn't even, well, it came out, we started to roll it out in 2010, but really 2011, 2012 is when it really hit. But anyway, um, 2004, I was sitting in Supersize Me and I was like, okay, well, now we know what not to eat. Wouldn't it be cool to see a documentary that showed some things that we should eat and also covered the ethical aspect? Because, you know, I'm really an, an ethical vegan at heart. I mean, I obviously care about health and, um, and I'm benefiting, you know, from all the health aspects of, of being plant-based and mostly whole foods plant-based. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was like, well, you know, I so then I met with my boss, Mary, at the time. I said, you know, Mary, someone should really make this documentary. And, she, you know, we looked at each other and she said, let's do it. <laughs> okay. Um and that's sort of what I do. Like, that's sort of now what I do. So with a book also, where I was like, you know what, someone should really, you know, make a cookbook for like really young kids. That's vegan mm-hmm. for babies and toddlers and little kids. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, someone should do that. And then, you know, thinking about it for a while, like, oh, well, you know, I guess I could do it. <laughs> guess it's going to be me. <laughs> guess it's going to be me. Yeah. 
and I, I have, you know, I'm, I'm not like my husband's a lawyer. He's very like risk adverse in certain ways. And I'm not, I'm just like, wow, you know, when I met him, I was doing improv comedy and sketch comedy. And that's just kind of how I live. I sort of improvise as I go. I don't have a grand plan necessarily. I'm just like, oh, well, this is cool now. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. That's so cool. Well, do you know your Enneagram type? No, what's that? It's a one of the ways that you can learn more about your personality, but I'll have you figure that out later because <laughs> I, I have some some clues of what I think you are. What about your sign? Oh, you know what your, well, your zodiac have, well, sign I'm is? Air, I'm, yeah, I'm an Aries and I'm such an Aries. Definitely, um, you know, fighting for the underdog, lots of energy, creative. Um, I'm a fighter. Yeah, all of that, all of that. I'm also, I did my Myers-Briggs and I'm an um, ENFP. So I don't know if that tells you anything, but I'm a champion idealist and that's who I am. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, me too. I'm an ENFP as yay, well. Yay, so. yay. That's why I love your energy. Yeah, that's why I, I saw your TED Talk and I was like, why don't I know about this lady? She's <laughs> unbelievable. Her story is amazing. Um, why is she not everywhere? I mean, and now you are and now you've got this podcast. And so I've been, you know, and I devoured your book and it was great. So anyway, so I, I, you know, I love your work and, and I think ENFPs are often sort of drawn to each other. Yes. Also. Yeah. We love that energy and um, yeah. really to get stuff done. So fun. Yes. Well, just a little, a little bit more about your work and, you know, you talked about being an ethical vegan. I think you're probably a, a vegan activist at heart trying to raise awareness and educate people. What is it like having that sort of life? And I wonder if you ever have feelings like you're not doing enough, whether you're not doing enough in your work, you're not doing enough for your kids and your family, having balance in your life. Do you ever struggle with any of those things? Uh, what is this word called balance? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that is. Um, yeah, I never feel like I'm enough. Um, I'm going to be totally candid. I'm just going to be totally candid and lay it out there. Um, I think it's a challenge in particular for well, women in general, but also in particularly in particular now during COVID. Um, I don't know when this is going to air, but I imagine COVID will still be around. Um, but, you know, I feel like I'm failing my children or I'm failing my job, which right now is the book. And, um, and I've actually, you know, become aware of that. I've been doing a little meditating and stuff. And the, the word that keeps coming back as my mantra is I am enough. Mm -hmm. I am enough. I am enough. Do I believe it necessarily every time I say it? No, but um, it's, you know, it's hard. We, I, you know, no childcare, kids at home. Um, the kids are in school now, but I don't know how long that's going to be, you know, New York is getting pretty bad. So, um, no, it's a, it's a struggle. And, you know, when you are an activist, often it's rooted in deep empathy, you know, for pain in the world and struggle. And, you know, you can take that on. And sometimes I do, um, but I did find a really great therapist who helped me work through that. I feel like that's super important. Self-care is super important when you expose yourself to this kind of pain and trauma. Um, you know, when I was making the documentary, um, I was looking at so much awful footage. And then I actually went to Farm Sanctuary and went through all their archives of, you know, undercover investigations. And then I was able to, after that, go and pet some pigs and cows. Now. We can't go and pet pigs and cows every day, you know, right now, but we can do the equivalent of that, which is, you know, connect with like-minded people. You know, I have a wonderful community of moms that I text who understand the struggle, vegan moms that I understand the struggle. I mean, every day there's Lenana Two Moons and Annie Shannon, and we're on a little text thread. So whatever that looks like for you. I think it's really important. Yeah, the meditating, the taking the beautiful walks, um, and allowing you to feel the sadness that you feel when you need to feel it, you know. Mm -hmm. But I've really found that in this time, you know, given the extraordinary challenges that we have, um, that practicing self-compassion has become key. You know, what? maybe that's my kids are getting more screen time than I 
comfortable with. Don't tell Dr. Chu that because I, I was listening to your episode with her. I was like, she doesn't give her like, I was so impressed with her. Um, but so I, uh, so I'm just trying to be gentle with myself. Yes, they're getting more screen time. Yes, they're, you know, maybe not, we're not all eating perfectly. You know, I've gained a few pounds and, and I, and I kind of don't care. Like, I'm just, I'm just saying this is the way things are right now. This is what it is. Um, do I have to fit in a box of what I think is perfect right now? You know, I'm I'm going to be compassionate with myself and say no. Yeah. Uh, oh, man, I love that. And I'm sending you so much love and positive energy because the truth is the reality is you are enough. And to all every single person listening to this podcast, you are enough because there really is no other choice. We're all enough. <laughs> We're just, I mean, that's just like the only option. It's enough. We're doing enough. We're being enough. It's yeah. enough. Yeah. And, and I also want to just touch on that empathy piece because, you know, I, I had a podcast episode too, that was on empathy and empathy can be really painful. And so I think being the kind of person that's brave enough to go into these situations and actually think about them and watch them and contemplate them, it's so brave. It's so courageous, but it can be so, so, so painful. And, you know, you talk about connecting when I do, when I see stuff like that, it's hard for me. I don't watch it on purpose anymore because I feel like I know enough about that now that I don't need to subject myself. Obviously, if you're making a film, you have to, right? Sure. I just grab my dog and like squeeze her really tight. She helps yeah. calm me down. I feel like her little body and her little energy just like calm my nervous system and help yeah. me feel that everything is going to be okay. Even though it just feels to your brain that there's just total, complete suffering everywhere, you know? It, so it can exactly. just be you, so hard. Perfectly put. You just, you know, um, there was a uh, poem, the world is too much with us then and soon. Who said that? I don't know. I was an English major. So I have all these like old man's poems in my head, but <laughs> sometimes the world does feel too much with us. It feels too much with us, especially with our, with our phones and our access to the news. And obviously in the last four years, we've been assaulted, you know, with all this craziness and, um, just a real on a national level, a lack of empathy. And so the empaths among us have been suffering. I mean, there's a little bit of a trauma. And I think when we just recognize, we just recognize that it's trauma, that witnessing the suffering or torture of a being, animal or not, is a trauma, that helps. But when people are operating as if there's nothing going on and it's all okay, you just that's crazy making. Mm -hmm. So that's another reason why it's great to listen to these podcasts with people who care. Yeah. You know, even if you're not in my kitchen at 11 p.m. at night while I'm, you know, doing the dishes, you're not really there. But I'm like, you're out there, Dr. Yami. You're out I there. I may be there. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> if you're missing cupcakes when you wake up in the morning that were in your fridge, maybe I was there. Oh, okay, well, let's let's shift gears and talk about something a little bit more lighthearted. Uh, yeah. You put in your bio that you have two rescued goldfish, but I've never heard of a rescued goldfish. So I'd like to know where exactly do you rescue a goldfish from? <laughs> yes, I rescued my two goldfish from uh, Sean Casey Animal Rescue. They're in Brooklyn. Oh. I'm in New York City. They're in Brooklyn. And I had just put threw up on thrown up on Facebook. So, so a little background. My son had really connected with this fish when he was um, in preschool in his classroom. Oh, yeah. Speedy, Speedy the fish. My son is an empath and he loves animals. And so he connected with this one fish. And, um, and it was sad for him to leave the classroom. And I said, you know what, it's time for a fish. So I just said, does anybody know, you know, blanket question on Facebook, anybody who does fish rescue, because I don't want to buy from a pet store. Cause yeah. we, we go to, we go to, go to Petco. Cause I mean, I had a Guinea pig and this and that, but when you go, you see like, there are like some little dead fish floating around sometimes. Yeah, and I was like, you know, I, I just don't, I just don't want to buy them. So let me see if I can rescue one. So sure enough, this rescue um, does exotics. So we went to Brooklyn. We got through on the train. We got three little fish. They put it in a little plastic tank, and we brought it home. Unfortunately, Danny fish didn't make it. Um, it's kind of a trauma for a fish to move to a new tank. Like yes. It's kind of a dangerous time, yeah. And, I mean, we joke that we rescued him from life. <laughs> 
he died, but now he's fertilizing the tulips in the backyard every spring. So I love uh, it. We think it. Yeah. Well, little known fact about me. Somebody asked me the other day if I should say something that people don't know about me, but people know pretty much everything about me because I'm an open book. But probably most people don't know that I have a very large goldfish tattoo on my right thigh because I love goldfish and I used to keep fish when I was a kid and I just think they're beautiful and mesmerizing and one of the hobbies I've had lately which literally has only been about a month is I'm trying to learn how to be an artiste and draw goldfish and I'm not artistic at all so they look like little kids drawings but it's okay you got to start somewhere so maybe in 30 (laughs) years because I have a lot more years to live in 30 years I'll be selling my goldfish art so so I That's wanted to beautiful. talk about so the goldfish. Do you, do, you, do you draw it from a picture or from, how do you draw them? Okay. So this is, I am obsessed with my new iPad Pro. I bought an iPad Pro mm-hmm. to do my work stuff and uh, to go paperless. And it's allowed me to go paperless, which I love with my minimalism and organization stuff. Yeah. But I also found out about this program where you can, like you can upload a picture and you can trace it. And then it's like, it's like an artist program. So it does all this stuff that I don't understand. And maybe someday I'll learn, but I'm just like, you know, I can start there. So I've done that. I've like uploaded some pictures and traced them, but also just kind of started freehanding myself too. And eventually I'll probably take a class. But right now I just want it to be fun and lighthearted. Every night I challenge myself, I'm going to draw one thing every night. So I'm just like, you know, I'm just going to start there and see what happens. That is so, and I'm sure it is so meditative and it's so- it is for you to take that time for yourself and just be creative in that little way. And is that so beautiful? I love that. I just want to say something to the listeners because they've probably heard me say this before. I get bitten in the butt so much in my life. Anytime I say never, like I said, I will never be a runner. I ended up running 13 half marathons and two full marathons. I'll, I hate spinning. It's the worst. I'm never going to do that. I have a Peloton now and it's like my best friend. Oh my and God. I have always said, I am never, I'm not artistic. I don't like drawing. I don't. And then every night I look forward to getting on my iPad and drawing. And it is so meditative. I'm like, this is why people do art. I never understood it before, but you know what? I think the key for me is I don't have an agenda. Yeah. I want to learn how to get better, but I'm just having fun and it's so relaxing and therapeutic. Oh, so absolutely. I I'm the same way. So for me, it is cake decorating and pie decorating. Yum, yeah. And delicious. And delicious. Um, but it is it's something that I get, you know, when I do late at night by myself, nobody's around and people love it. And they're like, oh, you should turn this into business. I'm like, absolutely not. Because mm-hmm. that's the joy of it. I mean, I mean, never say never, right? Watch me next year. You'll be interviewing me in my new cake business. But still, <laughs> seriously, but still, <laughs> seriously, yeah, no, but, um, but, uh, but no, but my, in, my impetus is saying, no, 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 this is just for me. And this is for joy. And it's the joy of giving. So it's not just, I don't just bake cakes and eat them. I just, I bake cakes, decorate or pies, decorate them and then give them away. And there's just something about being in your zone late at night when it's quiet and just letting your creative um, animal let loose. It's just, it's, it's so, so joyful. That's so cool. Well, it's too bad. I don't live in New York because yeah, I mean, I'm, (laughs) Just so you know, my birthday's in August and uh, anytime you want to send me a beautiful cake or pie. Yes, yes. All right. Well, let's shift gears again and talk about your book, Vegucated Family Table, that you wrote with Laura. Is it Delhauer? Delhauer, yes. Laura Delhauer. The Vegucated Family Table. It's beautiful. It's so, I, I just love how it takes you just like you said before, from babies all the way through. And so tell me, why did you guys write it? And um, what's been like your favorite experience about writing this book? So um, as I had mentioned before, it was it was one of those moments where I was like, well, someone really should do this. But the reason why I, the, the thing that got me to someone should to, oh, let's actually do it, was hire, was hiring Laura as a sort of mother's helper. I was looking for a mother's helper because I was pregnant with my second child. My husband used to travel, not anymore, all the time. And um, I mean, he was gone maybe 30%, 30, 40% of the time. And with a newborn and a toddler, I was like, this is not tenable. So um, so we 
were looking for someone to be kind of a mother's helper and stumbled across Laura uh, through a friend. And she told me that she actually teaches vegan cooking classes and she's an intuitive chef. I was like, well, that's amazing. So, um, you know, I kept the baby. She made us food in the, in the evening, you know, two, three times a week. And that was unbelievable because as you know, the witching hour is the worst, right? With mm. newborns. It's that time when you're supposed to be making dinner. So, um, you know, between probably five and seven, it was just horrible anyway, but having Laura was such a blessing and she had been a nanny for, um, these kids who are not vegan, but she really got them into eating vegan, healthy vegan foods just by example and just by exposure, you know? Um, so she would, you know, be sprinkling uh, hemp seeds on her avocado toast or whatever. And the kids would say, what are those? And she'd say, oh, these are sprinkles. And so she turned them into something fun, which is sprinkles. So that kind of thing. So Laura, I thought was super creative, a very good intuitive chef. And we turned our kitchen, my kitchen into a chef kitchen. And, um, and then we got an agent and she shopped it around. Um, and we got, uh, we ended up with working with, um, 10 speed press who's been lovely and they have such a great design department and the photography. It was so stunning. I mean, that was probably the funnest part of this whole, this whole process was just being in San Francisco um, at the photo shoot where we had food stylists styling food. We didn't have to make the food, Dr. Yami. We didn't have to make it. There was like these food stylists there and there was this, you know, this photographer who was so good. And just to see our ideas come to life. That was, um, I would say that was super rewarding when you have an idea and a concept and you see it like you with your book, right? And you get to hold it. Now we have the book. Now we can hold it. I can gift it, you know, giving it to teachers and coaches and friends. And um, yeah, it's been, it's been super rewarding. That's so cool. Well, and it's beautiful too, but that's so neat. Like I've heard about food stylists and all the stuff that they do and to make everything look so beautiful. That's so cool. Cause it is, it's a, I love the photography. It's so inviting and looks so delicious, everything. Thank you. Thank you. Well, tell me about your own experience with raising vegan children. And have you ever had people comment to you like, you know, you're pushing your beliefs on your kids and why don't you let them decide for themselves if they want to be vegan? How, what has that been like? And what's your response generally in those situations? Yeah, that was a big, initially the hesitation from family members was around health. Um, you know, like my dad, um, emailed me some article, but that saying that kids need, um, to eat fish for, to be smart, you know, for brain health. And I wrote back, I was like, thanks dad. Um, you may remember that I never ate the fish that you guys served <laughs> and I did not eat flax, walnuts, chia seeds. Like, you know, that the DHA and the ALA, they, they weren't even like on my parents' radar. I just didn't eat fish, you know? So, um, so I said, thanks dad. And I, I think a lot of these, you know, a lot of criticisms or something that it, it comes from a place of love, doesn't yes. it? I mean, it comes from a place of caring, um, and, but I just had to remind him, you know, thanks dad, I'm on it, you know, and I do give my kids DHA. Um, and then I had yeah, other family members, um, one who is morbidly obese, you know, expressed concern. And I was like, wow. <laughs> okay. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. But I am very careful. I, my kids have blood tests, you know, pretty regularly so that we're on top of everything and they're fine and they're healthy and that's great. Um, now, in terms of the pushing, pushing the beliefs on the children, um, I have to kind of think that we need to reframe it a little bit because the words forcing one's beliefs seems to be reserved for vegan parents or parents who do things out of the norm, right? But when real, in reality, we're all sort of not forcing, but we're 
sharing our beliefs with our children and our ideals with our children. I mean, every time we don't let our kid pull the cat's tail or throw trash on the ground or, um, you know, eat ice cream for dinner, you know, we are uh, pushing our beliefs on about what's what's healthy for them, how we want them to operate in the world. When we ask them to say please and thank you, when we, even when we model our behavior, it's all quote unquote, pushing our beliefs in our child, but it's also just parenting, you know, yes. it's parenting at the end of the day. Um, and it's just that our beliefs are a little bit less mainstream right now, but that's going to change. You know, everything is changing as the world evolves. We constantly are uh, growing our circles of compassion, right? I mean, I feel like in two generations from now, maybe even one, I don't know, people are going to look back and say, wait a minute, you were eating who, you know, mm -hmm. they'll be like, wait, what? Just like I look back, you know, even my grandfather, um, not many people know this, but he, he was in the Nazi party, wow. um, you know, and yeah. And, and I come from, you know, multiple slave owners um, way back and, you know, they're, they grew up within a context of their time. Right. Yes. And, and they 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 made the choices that made sense for that time for them, and um, and in some ways I have I have compassion for them because they were just responding to what was going on at the time. But on the other hand, you know, you wish <laughs> one wishes as progeny that they're you know that they had made braver, kinder choices, and um, you know, and I don't want to be a product of my time. And I hope that my children won't be products of their time. And so I think it's imperative imperative for us to do some of the hard work, you know, the anti-racist work that's uncomfortable, the anti-speciesist work, the environmental work, um, to ensure uh, a safe and healthy and, uh, you know, good future for our children and for their children to follow. Uh, yes. And, and that the theme of discomfort it is, is so true right now. There's so many uncomfortable things. There's so much discomfort, but it's going to be uncomfortable to go against the grain. It's going to be uncomfortable to make change. And that's what I like to say is discomfort is the catalyst for growth. It's the only way we can do it is to, it has to be uncomfortable, you know? So, I love that. I'm going to use that. Can I borrow that? Because that's absolutely. beautifully put. That is beautifully put. You know, and we always, we know from the self-help books, you know, that you have to get out of your comfort zone to grow, you know, as a person. Well, as a society, we need to get out of our comfort zone too, you know, on an individual level, whether it's, you know, the choices that you make, you know, every day, or even just on a policy level. And who are we going to elect? Who do we want to bring us into the next generation? Um, so, so yeah, I love the way you put that. Yeah. and. I think you're right. Um, I, I also don't believe that it's wrong to raise my children vegan. You know, I've been doing it for almost 10 years now. And I just, I just can't agree that compassion and love and kindness is wrong. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It just can't be wrong. Yes. Like in my heart, it just can't be wrong. And of course they're thriving. So as a physician, it yes. also is not wrong. Well, let's Wonderful. talk about what your go-to meals are. You know, it is a different time and it's not the same as usual, but right now in our weird pandemic yes. lifestyle, what are your go-to meals for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and snacks? What do you guys like to eat at your house? So, um, we, so I do a mix of, I'll do blended salads, which I learned from Dr. Furman, mm -hmm. um, for myself, my kids, well, you know, they'll try a little bit here and there. Um, a blended salad is like, you know, it'll be lettuce or spinach or kale mixed with pineapple and oranges. And, um, and that gives you so much energy. So that's a great, I love starting the morning that way. Um, sometimes we'll do an oatmeal. My daughter, my kids love anything toasty, anything warm in the morning. You know, they love toast. So they love, you know, an avocado toast. Uh, my daughter likes nutritional yeast on her avocado toast. Um, what else? We do muffins. You know, a, a really great pumpkin spice muffin or like a banana muffin right now. Um, I've also learned to um, substitute about a third of the flour with baby cereal, fortified baby oatmeal. And that just absolutely boosts the, the iron mm -hmm. and the um, some other vitamins. 
So that's an easy sub. The rice cereal doesn't really work, but the other the other grain cereals work um, well for that. And you know, we've got a we've we've we're very conscious of iron consumption um, in our house because my kids don't love you know leafy greens. And it's embarrassing to say, yes, I'm a vegan mom. My children don't love leafy greens unless they're in like kale chip form or in like a perfectly scrumptious green juice or a Neverland smoothie or something like that. Um, so we've got, you know, I've got to keep an eye out for iron. Um, what else do we have? We do, oh, we do the, we do waffles. We, that's another way I get iron in is I, um, put white bean in the waffles that you mm-hmm. were talking about, the white bean wonder waffles that you were, that we were emailing about earlier. Um, we do, we do that too. So l- that lunch is pretty easy. We do some kind of a burrito or um, hummusy kind of a wrappy thing. I bought recently little mini pitas, and that was just a fun change. Those little mini whole whole grain pitas for lunch boxes. Um, and then we usually do fresh fruit, you know. Um, snacks, we'll do roasted chickpeas, kale chips, um, you know, nuts, obviously fresh fruit. Um, and then my kids, you know, my daughter has a sweet tooth, so. Sometimes we'll do like a, um, or we'll even sneak like chocolate chips on banana with peanut butter, you know, mm-hmm. we'll just like a little banana, peanut butter, chocolate chips, or a date with peanut butter and almond butter and chocolate chips or something like that. Um, and then um, for dinner, let's see, we do quesadillas, we do anything Italian. Um that's always good. What did I make last night? I made a golden soup from the cookbook. And then I made a, a grilled cheese, which has some uh, zucchini or cauliflower. Either one works. Um, so I put, I shred zucchini or cauliflower, um, put it in a food processor with nutritional yeast and a little bit of, you know, vegan cheese. And they think it's like the best thing. Um, yeah. They think it's like a real vegan cheese. And it's, I mean, you know, they don't know that it's got all that good stuff in there. I mean, we they know because they see me make it and they make it with me, but they don't taste it. Um, and what else? Yeah, those are those are just some of some of the staples that we have. Um, uh, my son loves the Gabriel's green sauce, which is a cilantro uh, pesto pasta, and we usually do the chickpea um, pasta. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, lentil pasta, something like that. Also, you know, for iron and stuff like that. Oh, that sounds delicious. How old are your kids? Uh, five and eight. Awesome. And then you uh, showed me the little video that you guys make to promote the book and lots of little kids in there. Do your kids like to help in the kitchen and pick recipes and help you cook and all of that? Yeah, that was, that was going to be my one go, one suggestion for things for people to do as a takeaway, which is, um, you know, I am old school. I love cookbooks. I'm in fact, I'm a cookbook addict. Mm. I just, it's a problem, you know, you look (laughs) at myself and it's like so many cookbooks, but, um, what's fun is the kids can flip through it and tag things that they want to try. My daughter likes to tag sweets, but that's okay. You know, we will, we make it a fun event and, um, and it's a special treat and, um, and it's really fun. And then she's actually started to invent her own recipe. So now that she's part of the recipe, part like choosing the recipe making, she now invents her own and she's just five. She made this amazing, uh, fruit soup. <laughs> wow. It was like a, a soup instead of vegetables and stuff. It was fruit and it was delicious. She put a little bit of coconut in there. What did she put in there? Oh, I had these chocolate covered blueberries um, that I got at the store. She put those in there. I mean, it was so funny. Um, but we started to write them down and she's keeping them for her baby dolls. So um, so just to, that that makes it more that makes it so much more fun in the kitchen because I, I don't know about you, but some days I just I'm gonna be honest with you, I hate it. I mean I hate it. I just, I know they're not going to like something healthy that I want to make, you know, and I'm just like kind of cringing, like, oh, what are they going to say? What are they going to say? But what I've done partly in response to your book and what I'm, what I'm reading elsewhere is just serve it with joy, with low expectations and with something that I know they like. Um, I call it an anchor food, but an anchor food on the plate where I know they'll like it. And so, because I have had, I have been 
crazy enough to serve them something with nothing on the plate that they liked. And my, my son came over to me and he whispered in my ear, mommy, this is the worst dinner ever. <laughs> I was like, well, at least he whispered it, you know? Gosh. So, so I've just lowered my expectation. I've did consciously another part of the COVID thing. And also in sort of by inspired by you is taking the stress from your book, taking the stress away of just lowering, like, like just bringing the joy back and bring a more relaxed atmosphere to it where it's not so charged, where it's not, I need to have this many bites of this or that, but just, you know, as long as it's all healthy stuff that I'm serving, you know, they'll eat it. And like you said, often, you know, after their bath or jammies, they'll come back and they'll finish it if they're hungry or they'll have a little bit more or whatever. Um, and I just, it makes me feel better knowing that they are just being exposed to it too. Yes. It's not going to be weird. They know what it is. Okay. They will know what a healthy plate looks like growing up. If you, you know, it's just imprinted in their brain. Okay. So for dinner, we have a this and a that, and we have greens and we have vegetables or we have, you know, whatever we have a, our protein and our veggie. And it, even though they don't, you know, eat the whole thing. It's in there. Mm -hmm. It's in their psyche. It's imprinted and it will, this is what I'm telling myself, it will, uh, you know, lead to a lifetime familiarity um, and comfort around healthy food. Yes. No, you're exactly correct. And I think, you know, I want to take it all the way back to where we were at the beginning of the conversation when you told your, your dad, I never ate fish or flax seeds or walnuts when I was a kid, your kids are going to be fine. Because yeah. I think that's where moms get the most stress. It's not like they feel, you know, you're, you're providing the food. It's just that whenever the kids either complain about it or don't eat it, that's when their mom brain goes like, oh my God, you project like 20, 30 years in the future where your kids yes. are, you know, powder and their brain is mush. Like, because yes. I've, I've talked to mom, okay, what is, what is your worst fear? they're just, things aren't going to grow. Their brain's not going to grow something, you know, something's going to implode, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's just like yeah, this yeah. fear, but they're going to be fine. And a lot of kids, especially your little one, she probably doesn't need that many calories. So if she had a nice hearty snack, by the time she gets to yeah. dinner, she's not that hungry. Probably like, ah, this looks awful. I don't want this, whatever. I'm going to go, <laughs> I'm going to go play, you know? And so that's normal. Totally. I think it's, it's hard not to take it personally, especially when you're, it is. this is the worst dinner ever. ever. God, thanks, bud. I appreciate that. Thanks so much. Exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. And, ta and talking to my husband too, talking to my husband, he, cause he told me he did not eat a vegetable. Now he grew up in England and you know, in the seventies, sixties, seventies, eighties, vegetables was not, you know, part of the, you know, <laughs> it's not where English cuisine uh, sh shined, right? Yes. They did not really shine in that way. So he, you know, he, he said, well, I didn't eat vegetables growing up. And now he eats vegetables, you know? So, I mean, not, I mean, yes, we should get our kids to eat vegetables and we should expose them all the time, but if they don't eat their whole pile of broccoli or whatever, it's okay. I'm, yeah. I'm just letting go of it. I'm letting go of it. And I'm saying it's okay. Yes. Oh, you're doing awesome. All right. Well, if you had a magic wand and you could change anything or make anything happen in the world, what would you choose? I would choose for people to believe in climate science. Mm. I was thinking about that question. At first I was like, oh, I would eradicate addiction. Okay. No, right now, actually where we are right now, I would have people believe in climate science because um we are at you know we're at a crazy point in time where it's kind of now or never in the next few years and you know people think covid was bad i mean that this is going to honestly this is going to be a cakewalk compared to like what could happen if we let things go awry with climate change but the other lesson from covid is um if we put to, if we believe the science and we put our, our minds, our most creative energies, our resources, our, you know, technology, everything, if we put it all together and focus on it, we can get it done. I mean, 
I rem- I don't know if, were you, if you were freaking out like I was at the beginning of COVID because they were saying, you know, oh, usually vaccines take four to 10 years to, you know, to, or if ever, like, um, to create a vaccine. I'm like four years, we can't do this for four years. Guess what? It's not even nine. It's barely nine months later. And we have, you know, we have a vaccine. Why? Because everybody put their energy onto this one thing and their resources and we can do it. We can do it with climate change too. It just meant, you know, we just need to, um, have the will, you know, when there's a will, there's a way. And, um, you know, right now I feel like, you know, um, John Kerry was just sort of named climate czar, um, last night. And so, um, I'm feeling a little bit more hopeful. Um, you know, I don't want to bring vaccines and politics onto your show right now. I know those are very charged, but, um, but honestly, where I'm coming from right now, just, I'm feeling hopeful around, uh, people focusing on solutions. Yes. Um, and I feel like as long as we keep that focus, then, then we'll be all right. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you remember whenever we first had like the worldwide lockdown where pretty much all the big developed countries, everybody was indoors and not driving their cars and using public transportation. And they were looking at satellite images and the pollution just like plummeted. Like it was dramatic. And like there were places where you couldn't see the water because it was so muddy and all of a sudden things cleared up because the world and the earth wants to heal. If we just step back and allow it to heal and stop insulting it over and over and over again. So I thought that that was a great lesson in how possible it actually is. Yeah. Our initials come together. Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, we think of so often in, in terms of deprivation of like, what we'll lose in order to get there, but we don't think about what we'll gain. Mm-hmm. And so if you reframe it, and if you, you know, if you do believe in the green jobs, and we do need a, we need to overhaul our infrastructure big time and think of um, all the jobs that will be created as a result of that. Also, when people think about going plant-based, often they're, they fear the deprivation yes. involved in that change, but they don't think about um the positive sides, all the amazingly delicious, healthful foods that you've never had before that you're being forced into, you know, exposing yourself to and discovering, you know, again, going out of your comfort zone and um, really reaping the benefits at the end of the day. I mean, can you imagine a world where, where you can go outside and the air was fresh? I remember in, in March, April, in New York City, I'm in Manhattan, there's just traffic nonstop all day at night. And we were able to go outside and we could breathe the fresh air. We could hear the birds. My mom, my brother, and my nephew are all asthmatics. And on bad days, they can't even go outside, mm-hmm. you know. And, and imagine a world where, where you can, you know, breathe that fresh air every day. Um, and then imagine a world where, okay, maybe for climate reasons, we're going plant-based. But think of all the health benefits. Yes. Think of all, you know, the animals who won't have to suffer as a result. So, so we need to, you know, it's also a little bit of marketing that needs to happen. So we need to market it better and we need to, um, look forward to the positive outcomes at the end of the day. Mm, I love it. Well, besides climate science, what else do you wish more parents knew? Oh, I wish that they knew that raising vegan kids is not just doable, but it's actually a gift. Mm. It's a gift because when you, when you raise your kids with this kind of consciousness that they are, you know, part of the interdependent web of life, they're not above it. They're, they're able to feel a community with other life forms and with the planet in a way that, that they other might otherwise might not have. Dr. Yami, your own story, right? You're awakening to animal stuff. My own story, my own awakening to animal stuff. You know, you just feel this community, this communion and this interconnectedness that, you know, that maybe you hadn't before. And and children want to feel like superheroes. I mean, all of the shows are about superheroes, superpowers. And when you impart to children that they can be a superhero or, you know, every day, three times a day when they eat, or let's be honest, nine times, nine, (laughs) 10 times a day when they eat, right? 
<laughs> those nine snacks or, or whatever, three meals, whatever, um, that they can be part of the solution. It's really empowering. Like my son feels special. You know, he, he, he talks about that, how he, he's got this special thing and, um, there are books about it, you know, Vivi, the super vegan and all these, all these other books where, where kids, it makes them feel really special and it gives them a quite a wonderful confidence boost. Now they're still young. I mean, I'm, I don't know what's going to happen when they are in middle school and everybody has to be like everybody else, you know. You may have me on here again and I'll be crying, you know, on your shoulder and lamenting that. But but I don't think so. Um, I don't think so. And, and even if they do for a little bit, it's, you know, it's a part. I mean, they're going to rebel against us anyway for whatever. Right. But um, I, a lot of people say, well, don't you worry your kids will rebel. And I say, yeah, but but ultimately the foundations of knowing what a healthy diet looks like, the foundations of, you know, being a moral person, a conscious person who thinks about how their choices affect others in the world. You know, food is, is just one choice, but the, that's a, it's a great choice. And it's an everyday choice, but it's just the thinking. It's like a little motor that gets them to think, well, what other choices are impacting the planet? And it just ripples and ripples and ripples. So it's really at the end of the day, it's a gift. Mm, so beautiful. It gives me chills. And I agree 100%. Well, I'd love to know what personal habit you're most proud of, how you developed it, and how you maintain it. Okay. Uh, I um, am not a great planner, as you might have caught on. I'm more of a fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants kind of girl. But um, And I part of that is because I, I was diagnosed at age 44 with ADHD hmm. or age 42 or something. And it's funny. Now it's so affirming to have that diagnosis because now everything makes sense. Um, and I took – and I didn't just run and freak out. I just said, okay, well, what, what can I do? And I found an ADHD coach, um, Alyssa Shaw, and she um, helped me um, – sort of organize my life so that my executive function is a little better. And one thing that was really getting in my way was not meal planning. You know, I would just freak out and I would feel this like anger and resentment. Like, why do these children have to eat every night? You know, (laughs) why can't they just eat food that I want and whatever's in the fridge? Like, why do they have to eat every day? You know, you know, three meals a day. So So she helped me take the anger and the anxiety away and just say, you know what, let's just spend, you like your cookbook, spend, you know, some time with your cookbooks every Sunday and go through, you know, you can, I have a list on my computer of meals that are our go-tos, right? That we know they're a hit. And so I mix those with some of the new things. And that's where I maintain my sense of adventure. Lord knows we don't get that much adventure right now in our lives. And this is where I can like have a little sense of adventure. It's like, oh, let's try this, you know, Moroccan tagine. And my kids are going to be like, oh, God. But if I, but if I, you know, every once, if I don't do Moroccan tagines every night, it'll be okay. You know, mm-hmm. we'll mix the familiar with the new. Um, so we made a nice balance. And, and I'm really proud that actually really grateful right before COVID hit. I was able to plan, you know, seven days in advance. And then when COVID hit and we were barely going to the store, I had to plan 10 days in advance, you know? And so I planned for 10 days of meals and, um, and, and I don't do it every week. I, I'm not, I don't always do it perfectly or whatever. Sometimes I'm literally just like, okay, whatever, let's just make this list. But, but I am proud that I'm able to get it together enough that I can, you know, plan it. I have it listed. So there's not that anxiety, you know, at 4.30 every day of, oh God, what are we going to eat? Um, and I, it just it just makes everyone calmer and makes everything more joyful. I'm able to make more food. So I'm not rushing to the re- you know store, you know, like, oh, we don't have da-da-da every other day. You know, I'm, it just brings, it makes it so much easier, more joyful. Wow. I I just love how you're so honest about this because I really do think that a lot of people assume, especially 
for somebody that's made an award-winning documentary film and, and a cookbook <laughs> that you must have it just like this perfect life. You know exactly what to make when. It's all just easy and flowing and, you know, just <laughs> harmonious. <laughs> but oh you're gosh. saying that you're just a normal person like the rest of us is what you're saying, huh? Oh my God. <laughs> you know, I can't, I, to be honest with you, I can't stand those posts. Where people, you know, online, like, this is our perfect life. My children eat everything we make and they love all their fruits and vegetables. Honestly, I'm just like, get out of my face, you know, because that is not my life. And that is not most people's lives. That's not how we live. You know, kids are neophobic for a reason. And, you know, it's as annoying as all get out. But, you know, they, you know, it's okay to be wary of new foods. That's kind of a survival thing. So if we look at it in the context of that, and we just, you know, take the pressure off and just joyfully expose them to new stuff, um, you know, then ultimately, it's, it's going to work out, it's going to work out. And I saw somebody that posted yesterday that meal prepping and menu planning is an act of self-care. And that's exactly what you're saying is that you're, yeah. you've learned to take the time, even though your brain type, your brain difference, no. I, I consider ADHD a superpower, by the way, we could talk about that some other Thank time, you. but Thank your you. brain difference doesn't want to sit down and do that. Okay. No, it's not no. fun. It's boring. You know, you don't want to do that, boring. but you've learned that if you do take the time to do that, you are honoring your future self. You are honoring your future mama at 4.30 p.m. on a Tuesday <laughs> afternoon that already has a plan and it, it does go easier for you. And so that is, it's one of those things that even though it might be difficult to establish that habit, you're, you've learned to establish that habit. So thank you so much for sharing that with us because I think it is hard to start that habit. I'm like that too. I'd love to just fly by the seat of my pants constantly, but I've learned Mm -hmm. that by being organized and planning, my nervous system can be more relaxed and I can enjoy life better. But you have to kind of freedom within structure. It's the freedom within structure. And that's what we, you know, give our children to. We're supposed to give our children as authoritative parents. You know, we're supposed to give them, you know, the structure and then the room to move within it. And we benefit from it too. Beautiful. Well, Marisa, this has been fantastic. I know we could talk for hours and hours, but before I ask you my last question, can you please leave my listeners with where they can find you? What product services do you offer? Where can they find all your goodies? Thank you. Um, they can go to vegucated.com. That's V-E-G-U-C-A-T-E-D.com. On there, we have um, obviously a link to the book, but we have some recipes. I have some resources. I used to be a children's book author. Uh, I mean, sorry, editor. I hope to be a children's book author one day, but I used to be a children's book editor. So I really love children's literature, especially children's literature around food and veganism and stuff. So I'm always adding new stuff um, to the resources section. Um, I feel like kids... um, you know, I feel like children's books are a great way to instill confidence and to help them understand a larger context. Um, so, and then we do, you know, blog articles and interviews, obviously Facebook, Instagram, we started a new live series. We're having you on obviously in the new year. Super excited. Now I get to ask you all my questions. (laughs) Um, so we have lives, um, every Saturday on either Instagram or Facebook, depending on if we're doing a food demo, that's usually Facebook and interview is usually Instagram, we want to vary our audience a little bit. Um, And um, yeah, posting articles and and lives and interviewing great people. We've got Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams, who's a vegan, uh, running for mayor. Yeah, Um, I uh, love his new book. And I've got uh, Michelle Taylor Kane coming on this Saturday. I don't know when you're recording this. But anyway, um, we've got some great guests. So, uh, So I hope people will tune into our social media. Awesome. And you said your book is available in bookstores too. So for people that want to venture into the bookstore, but of course you can order it online. That's right. That's right. Indie books or bookshop. A lot of of great ways also that you can support local booksellers um, online. Excellent. Uh, So excited for you. Okay. Well, leave us with one call to action for the week. What is one thing that parents can do today to make feeding their kids fun and easy? 
I'm going to go back to get out your cookbooks, just like we, and get out cookbooks with a lot of pictures because kids are super responsive to pictures. I was surprised my son um, chose a little drink. Um, we, he loves the help yourself cookbook that Ruby Roth made. Uh-huh. Um, and he chose, you know, it's funny what they choose. Like I said, my daughter will just tend towards the dessert, but my son, he chose an interesting like berry drink. Um, and if they feel like they're part of the process, even when, you know, even when they're like, what's for dinner? And you're like this. And they're like, oh, that's new. If you say, well, you chose it, you know, then they're going to be more motivated or, if, you know, you helped cook it. So we have, yeah, on, on Vegeta.com, I have that cute little video of different kids testing out a new recipe um, from our cookbook. And it's, it's funny because they make messes. One's throwing a tantrum. They all are fighting over who gets to do what. It just reminds us that we're all in the struggle together. Like we all have the same drama in the kitchen, you know? Um, And, but, but you also see the joy of the kids, you know, trying it and really enjoying this new food Um, because largely because they picked it out, they picked out the food. So I I encourage um, parents to let their kids look through whether you, if you're not a big cookbook person, maybe scroll through some blogs or something, give them some choice and say, Hey, what would you like to make? And do you want to make it with me? Um, and then maybe it will lead to some more adventures. Maybe it'll lead to an, a, a cookbook for their baby dolls, like Emmy's making, you know, with her own recipes, just learning the process of cooking will, um, you know, teach a, a new habit and, um, help foster new joy in their lives. Perfect. Let them be invested in the process. When they're invested in the process, they're more invested in the food. And it it totally, I mean, there's studies that show this. Marisa, thank you so much for joining me on Veggie Doctor Radio. Congratulations to all of the amazing work that you've done and will do, because I know that it will keep coming. And thank you for everything. And I hope that you have a very fantastic day. Thank you so much. This was such a pleasure, such a joy. Um, and I look forward to speaking with you on my live in the new year. Hey, veggie lover. I hope that you loved today's episode. Will you take a second and do me a huge favor? Please subscribe to my podcast so that you never miss an episode. You're the reason I'm here and I want to share it all with you. Thank you for listening and have a plantastic day. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done.